What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello and welcome to Four Fans Of, a recommendation podcast from Fansided Entertainment. I'm your host, Shay Corrigan, and today I'm joined by Dork Side of the Forces, Mia Johnson, and Netflix Life's Bryce Olin to talk about two of their recommendations for the week. Before we get to that, though, here's what was new on TV this week. Two Netflix series were released last Friday and have dominated the week since, uh, The Queen's Gambit and Barbarians. The former, which has been affectionately dubbed The Drugs and Chess Show, stars Anna Taylor-Joy as an orphan chess prodigy, Beth Harmon, who struggles with addiction in her quest to become the greatest chess player in the world during the Cold War. The other is a German language series about a native Germanic tribe battling the Romans in 9 AD. Two very different vibes, pick your poison there. On Saturday, Adele hosted SNL and charmed everyone, as she is wont to do. Tuesday saw the tearful return of the Pearsons with This Is Us's two-hour season five premiere, as well as Sarah Cooper's Netflix comedy special, Everything Is Fine. Cooper became famous earlier this year for her viral videos, lip-syncing Donald Trump quotes, but her special is far from one note. It's a series of vignettes with a fake morning show, and it's been described as high concept, deeply weird, and adult swim-esque. On Thursday, Superstore returns, and if you're not watching the NBC workplace comedy about the employees of a superstore in St. Louis, you're missing one of the most thoughtful and warm-hearted family uh, roasts on TV. It's like if the office cared to be smart about class. Finally, The Mandalorian, fresh off 15 Emmy nominations and seven wins, is back on screens Friday, which is good because we're going to all need Baby Yoda memes to make it through the rest of 2020. And now, here to tell you why you should be watching The Mandalorian is Mia Johnson. Hello, hello. I'm happy to finally find an opportunity to be on this show. (laughs) Of course, it was going to be Mandalorian. Right, we got to start with the obvious one and then we'll go from there. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. So where do I begin? Yeah, why why should people be watching The Mandalorian? Cool. Well, let me start the countdown so I know exactly (laughs) what to say. So, gosh, The Mandalorian. um, This is okay. So this is actually the very first live action Star Wars TV show that uh, Lucasfilm is producing. Um, and as you said, it's got 15 Emmy nominations. They took home seven. So already it's like, wow, they're making history. They're bringing home the dough for Lucasfilm and for Star Wars. So the biggest appeal, obviously, is Baby Yoda. Everyone sees Baby Yoda. Everyone is like, oh, my gosh, this thing looks so cute. What is it? But it's actually deeper than that. <laughs> so I'll explain. It goes beyond just Baby Yoda. Um, so as I was saying, Star Wars is like this is their first live action TV show. So they've had. Um, they've had some animated TV shows in the past. They've got like some odd 11 movies and then some stuff on top of that. 
But this is is different because it's outside of the Skywalker saga. And what this means is basically there's no Luke Skywalker, no Princess Leia. There's no, gosh, no Rey, no Finn, Poe. All of those people are gone. <laughs> and that kind of gives you a chance to start fresh with this narrative. It gives you a chance to see something completely different. Mandalorian um, is a bounty hunter, and he is basically just someone who's always looking for his next job. And when he finds baby Yoda, this is like the most special job he's ever gotten. So he's like, do I go out and, you know, give this little child back or do I protect him? Um, or basically he's trying to figure out what to do. And so this show is filled with heart. It's filled with great laughs. It's filled with great action. So even if you're not necessarily a Star Wars fan, I think it will still appeal to people who are not necessarily familiar with the whole Star Wars brand. Yeah, and I want to dive into that a little bit more. The first I was thinking, I was trying to describe or think about how you would describe or pitch The Mandalorian if it was outside the Star Wars universe. And mm -hmm. it basically just sounds like a Vin Diesel movie of like a bounty hunter finds a baby <laughs> and suddenly they're best friends. And <laughs> yeah. it's very much that. And I love that. But also when you put it in like the Star Wars dressing, like it's much more like dramatic and um, yeah. Magnificent. <laughs> yeah. And the acting is definitely better than Vin <laughs> Diesel and Fast and Furious. If y'all listen to me, I'm also on Take the Black Live podcast. I ripped Vin Diesel in half in the last episode. Uh, so everyone knows my position on that. But yeah, this is so what I was surprised when I watched the first episode last year is that this is just so spectacularly well done from top to bottom the acting, the production value, just everything is handled with so much care. And I was. Complete. It's like a movie, basically. I was blown away. Yeah, um, and I think, too, to your point about the acting, especially compared to Vin Diesel, which is my apologies to Pedro Pascal for that comparison, that I... <laughs> The Mandalorian, the Mandalorians wear masks. And so you have mm -hmm. this like amazing actor who is fully... You don't see any of his face the entire first season. I don't think... I'm pretty sure they don't. They didn't reveal it in like, the finale, right? Hmm... Mm. Do they? <laughs> he takes it off, but you don't see his face. I think. It, um, yeah. But anyways, and like it's still like just incredibly like you know impressive and moving, and you're like I have not seen like it's yeah just, yeah. It's cool. I've been doing the uh, my rewatch ahead of season two, and even though I knew it, I was just surprised at how much still kind of affected me emotionally. There's one where it's the and these all feel like one-off episodes like you can kind of just like jump in and watch something it doesn't really matter it does and it doesn't <laughs> um but I was like still I was like almost moved to tears for this one episode where he goes to this village and he's kind of there to protect them um so that was a whole thing that I had to deal with <laughs> that I admit to the public uh, that is a great episode though because it's almost like one of those uh you know, like self-contained episodes where it's like, this is what his life could be like if it wasn't what mm -hmm, it is. <laughs> mm -hmm. If he didn't have, you know, various people across the galaxy looking for him. Yeah. Uh, all right. So you referenced a little bit the the plot or lack thereof. Season one, like you said, like a lot of the episodes are, you know, pretty self-contained. It's kind of a gradual progression of him finding you know baby yoda which is what he was like set out to um i guess we should call him formally the child what he yeah. was set out to find and then more or less just like running trying to like avoid people after him well originally it's him getting bringing baby yoda to the person that put the bounty out and then changing mm -hmm. his mind sort of 
um, which I guess spoilers, uh, but it, it's mostly just kind of like a road trip for a season. Yeah. What do we know about where it goes next in season two? Yeah. So for season two, and I guess we're acting on the assumption that you've either watched season yeah, one or, yes. you know, you're, you're okay Before to know a, little bit, a, a couple of spoilers, <laughs> um, but I won't go too heavy handed. Um, watch a bunch of episodes and then come back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so basically like there is this overarching plot where uh, Mando has kind of made this decision to, at least for the time being, be the guardian of the child or baby Yoda and now it's kind of like, okay, what do I do with him? <laughs> and it seems like from the trailers mostly that they are going to try to find Baby Yoda's home, his planet, his species, because for the most part, we've been calling him Baby Yoda because the only two people who look like him in the Star Wars universe are Yoda and also Yaddle. So <laughs> she's a female Yoda species. So um, that's what I'm excited to see is I don't know if in eight episodes they'll be able to find his home or we might get like just a little bit of a teaser, but they've got some like really big changes in the lore and in the, the whole Star Wars canon once we finally figure out like what's going on with little baby Yoda. And how important, I guess, to return to the question about, you know, watching for a Star Wars fan or a non-Star Wars fan or for the direction a non like diehard star wars fan how uh -huh. important is sort of like the canon or lore to understanding the show you know in the first season it was very minimal um you know there the good thing is that if you are a fan you'll notice things like tattooing luke's home planet anakin's home planet um little creatures robots like every every single thing is done with such care but again because they're basically starting from scratch you know, I can tell it's it's like a Western, right? I can tell you this, this guy is looking for a bounty. The bounty is valuable. And now he has to figure out what to do with this bounty. You can really apply that to any situation. This just happens to be set in Star Wars. And there's a few more rules about Mandalorians and things like that. But if you don't know, it doesn't matter. Uh, but I will say in season two, I think they might be going a little more heavy handed on the lore because there's all these rumors about um, new character or old characters from the Star Wars universe appearing and maybe this being like a launching pad for spinoffs. So definitely you have to watch season one in order to, I'm, I'm sure, understand season two at least. Yeah, season one will give you enough of the basics to, to make your way through season two, which I feel like is generally, I mean, we had Dan on, uh, who is your co-host on Take the Black the other week, uh, saying that we could just start um, the boys at season two, he was like, you don't really need to watch the first season. Just jump right in. Um, no, I, I, I get like... angry at him at that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, well, I guess it sounds like clearly with like the Mandalorian, like don't start with season two, definitely watch season one. Yeah. <laughs> but now I have to kind of like sidebar and ask you, did you also watch the boys? And do you also feel strong? Like, do we need to revise our statement on being able to skip season one? <laughs> well, I, you know, I just thought that season one well to me I never really imagined jumping into something as short as the boys like I've jumped into Supernatural <laughs> without watching the first couple episodes but the boys I'm like it was so well done every single episode of uh the first season that I couldn't imagine not watching the first season all those moments blew me away so unless you kind of are like well everything in season two was basically has the same shock value and this and that but um I personally love season one, so I'll have to give my endorsement for watching the full thing. 
Well, that's good to know because at the rate that I'm making my way through my to watch list, I still haven't watched the boys. So you, you've got in just in time to sort of uh, inspire me to actually start with season one. Uh, but yeah, Supernatural is a funny one to mention because that was also like 15 seasons. So it's yeah. like, there's a difference between like, do I have to watch 14 seasons to yeah. watch this one or do I have to watch one? I think I jumped in and season eight jumped out by like 10 or 11. So <laughs> just did a couple. That's actually an interesting, I don't know, I'd be interested in like doing a survey of people that had ever watched Supernatural and like, what segment did you watch? Like, were you yeah. up early years, mid years? Um, but anyways, <laughs> all right. So I do, okay. I got sidetracked there talking about Supernatural, but I do want to talk more about Baby Yoda. You are, um, as you mentioned, the editor of Dorkside. Uh, Dorkside has been running a Mandalorian preview all week full of super great content. One of them you wrote about was how it seems fairly inevitable that Baby Yoda is going to speak this season. Like you like pulled all this information, <laughs> like how, how old are babies when they usually speak? How old is Baby Yoda? Like we know he's like 50 in Baby Yoda year or mm-hmm. Yoda years, but um you know, he's however, like 18 months or whatever it is in estimated, yeah, <laughs> whatever. I'm not gonna describe it well. I and I'll toss it to you now. So, I want to I want to talk about Baby Yoda's potential, uh, you know, first words, but also, do we think he should speak? I mean, I know it's natural that eventually he should speak, that is like a natural character, thing. yeah, but so much of his like allure and cuteness has just been like his like babbling and like playing with little levels. I know. And that's the good thing about um, childhood progression and how children age, (laughs) if I'm to understand without any scientific background. Uh, I kind of like the idea of just, you know, him slowly learning like one word, you know, baby talk up to, I don't even know if we'll get to the point of full sentences. And that's probably nothing that concerns the series anyway. So I would be pro, you know, maybe he learns to say one word, you know, a little Hmm, what would he say? I think Mando, like I said, that's something easy. That's something that he hears repetitively. Um, Mando's real name is Din, D-I-N. So that's also another one syllable word that he can say. Um, I'm not betting on him saying this is the way. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I was like, that might be a little bit too much for him to handle. But yeah, I was looking, I'm like, you know, there's no official research on how old he is. Maybe in human years, he could be like 24 months, which is way well past you know when a a, you know a child developmentally should be learning how to speak so I don't I'm like fingers crossed in some way it'll be cute but I don't think it necessarily will drive the whole plot or anything like that at some point he'll be older and he'll be wiser (laughs) I would absolutely love the just sheer ambition of having the entire season work towards like like where are we where where's the arc where are we going where are we going and it just ends with like Baby Yoda saying uh, Mando, which actually originally I, I went into this line of question you being like, oh, like he's cuter when he's all like silent and incoherent. But mm-hmm. then you just like put the image in my mind of him saying like Mando was his first word. Uh-huh. And I know like you said, like that's not actually the Mandalorian's like name. But oh, that that I already can tell you yeah. it would melt my heart and I would be fully back on board. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, it's very endearing. And this show is already like I said, I've been rewatching the moments. and I'm like, wow, it is so it is every moment is so cute. So I don't you know, I think they're always trying to look to take it to that next level. So for showrunner John Favreau, that is just a hint <laughs> if he's run out of material. Which is kind of an amazing not pivot, but like new look for Star Wars. I feel like Star Wars 
has always had these like cute characters, but mm-hmm. it's never, you would not like, if you were given five to 10 adjectives to describe Star Wars as like a series, like cute doesn't really top the list, yeah. but it, it kind of does with the Mandalorian. Like you're right, like it's it's a show, it's a Western, but it's also like totally rooted in this guy's relationship with the little baby. And it's, it's yeah. true. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great show to watch on Father's Day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly though we won't ask you to wait that long that'd be kind of kind of a no yeah yeah. um all right well on that note then and as a reminder mandalorian season two comes out tonight at midnight is that right like midnight between midnight 3 a.m et yeah yeah, in the the wee hours of the night netflix drop time so technically you could you could view it as a thursday night release or uh if you choose to sleep instead uh friday and it will be running and again correct me if i'm wrong weekly yeah it will be every friday last year was a little different because the rise of skywalker came out so they kind of shifted the schedule but this time it should be every friday oh yeah that is giving me shades of looking at the schedule last year where it was like it didn't really release from like thanksgiving or something so it was like thursday and then a friday yeah. and then a friday and then a monday and you're like what is going on <laughs> yeah good times um anyways so that's that please watch the mandalorian please start from season one um and thank you mia so much for joining us we're going to take a quick break and when we return bryce is going to try to convince me to watch a show that i think i hate so bryce you're here to talk to us about stranger things back a million years ago in 2016 it felt like Absolutely everybody watched Stranger Things, including me. I watched it that summer, blew through the first season. And then maybe I'm projecting here, but it felt like most people or most Netflix subscribers kind of fell into these two camps of either like sticking with it and really loving it or like (laughs) missing the second season that is kind of falling off. And then at least for me, like I've become like a little bitter about like it's always about Stranger Things and there are all these other Netflix originals that I like, I like more, but I'm surrounded by so many people in that former camp that I keep thinking like, do I need to revisit Stranger Things? <laughs> do I need to get back into it? Because there was obviously so much that I, I did like about the first season. So I would like you to sort of do something a little bit different than what we normally do here. And I would like you to pitch specifically the haters like me that have given up on Stranger Things. Why should we come back? Yeah, um, well, you should. Uh, no, uh, so basically I think a lot happened after Stranger Things came out that was like, it it took a long time for the next season. I think it premiered in July. Most people watched it during that summer. Uh, Then the second season came out at Halloween 2017. So that's a pretty big gap. And for an eight episode show that people binge watched in like a day or two days, um, I think that it, it fell off a little bit, like definitely. And then I think that you're totally right. Like the commercial aspect of Stranger Things being everywhere, especially for the later season, makes people like have like the opposite reaction. Like they're like, no, I will not watch this. I like nothing you can do or sell me is going to make me watch this. Um, But I think you're missing maybe like the, the characters are good. I think that that's the big thing. Like there's a big commercial aspect to Stranger Things. I get that but the characters are so well written and you start to care about them. If you can get, if you start watching season two, I think you'll start to care about all the characters, all the trauma that they continue to suffer over and over again. 
um, and you just want them to pull through. Like they all have issues. Uh, and I think that that's why most people should watch season two. Um, I'd also say this is the perfect time to watch season two because it's a Halloween season. There's a Halloween episode. So if you're gonna watch it, now is the time. Um, you can wait on Stranger Things season three because that's a summer season. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the other thing I would say, if you liked Stranger, the first season of Stranger Things or maybe you didn't like it and you watched it anyway, the show changes enough with each season. It pays homage to different movies and different shows from, or different like, I don't know, pop culture from the eighties that like you'll, probably find things that you would I don't know like would like more I guess I'm trying to say uh because it changes the characters get older uh but yeah it's about the characters I think that's the reason why though (laughs) all right well that's a good I am a very I really like character driven shows and I can forgive a show a lot uh if I love the characters but I wanted to go back to one of the things you mentioned one of the things that I like genuinely did really like about the first season was the 80s setting and like the 80s references that were you know there from the sheer casting of Winona Ryder to like every like the clothes and the games and all that what are some of the best or like most iconic 80s references that uh, Stranger Things has given us yeah so there's uh, there's a lot of references just like within the show there's posters on walls uh over their bedroom walls like I think of like the evil dead and stuff like that um and then there's a lot of verbal references like I think in the first season Lucas calls Eleven Lando, which is obviously the Empire Strikes Back. We just talked about the Mandalorian. There's some crossover there. Uh, Ghostbusters, Mad Max. Um, getting later in Stranger Things three, we get Never Ending the Never Ending Story theme, which is like one of the most polarizing things about Stranger Things I think ever. Uh, either people loved it or they hate it. Um, there's some really funny stuff with um, Dustin saying that his girlfriend is hotter than Phoebe Cates, who starred in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That's like a running joke throughout the third season. Um, my favorite all-time reference in the whole series, though, is uh, Steve Harrington. He's kind of, um, for lack of a better word, a douchebag. Uh, and uh, he doesn't know pop culture very well. Uh, and so he goes to a screw like goes to see Back to the Future in Stranger Things 3, which came out in 1985. That's when the season set. But he keeps referring to Michael J. Fox as Alex P. Keaton, which is the character that Michael J. Fox played in Family Ties, I believe. So uh, (laughs) that, I I love that. More so though than the references is like, if you like 80s movies, um, you're gonna like how Stranger Things is filmed. And you'll probably even notice a lot of like similar shots how they're framed, lines that are very, very similar. Um, Like the first season is basically E.T. Like there's so many like easy crossover, like Eleven being the alien um, with like wearing the dress or like getting dressed up, hiding from the mom, riding on the bikes. Like it's very E.T. Later we get like a lot more like Goonies. Second season is like Close Encounters of the Third Kind where one of the characters is like possessed. and there's like, yeah, there's just a ton of shots like that, that the they're like paying homage um, and like tying in all of these different movies and things that they, the, the, the Duffer brothers and the writers loved from that time period. Very cool. I feel like I need to watch with a cheat sheet because like my, my 80s knowledge is superficial and like specific to, as I imagined for like 
many people like what I've like what I've seen and what I know where it's like I don't think I would have gotten that Michael J. Fox joke even though I feel like I've seen like a solid amount of Michael J. Fox uh material but anyways uh another thing that I want to return to from again the one season that I did watch Barb (laughs) I, we talked a little bit about this offline, but Barb obviously had a tragic demise in season one and just a totally enormous like groundswell of fan support that were just like outraged and upset on her behalf. And I want, I want to know two things. I want to know one, why do you think she resonated so much with fans? And can those of us that uh, loved Barb and gave up for season one, is there more Barb, you know, in the future anywhere? Yeah, so I think uh, there's probably a few reasons why Barb is like such a beloved character. I think within like the confines of the show, she's like such a good and pure person. Like she's just lovely. She like really, really wants Nancy to like make good choices. And like, not that Nancy's making bad choices, but like Barb thinks she is. And is like, I don't know, trying to steer her in the right direction. She goes to this like party, right? With like these horrible, horrible teens. And she just definitely doesn't want to be there. And like, I think that maybe people can like, I don't know, they, they feel like that they were a barb at some point in their life, maybe that that could be it. I don't know if that's true. Or just like, it's it's weird to me though, because there are like so many monster movies where like innocent characters get killed and like no one cares. Like they're like, okay, cool. That was a great death scene or whatever. But like that didn't happen with Barb. And I don't really know exactly why. I think it's just because she's a good character. She was trying to support her friend and like she like suffered like the worst thing that could possibly happen to someone in that in that setting. And then um, so she gets dragged to the upside down. Um, and she's really the only person that we care about that like dies in the first season. Like there's a lot of people that get killed, but like, she's the only one we really care about. Uh, I wonder how fans would have reacted if like Tommy or Carol would have been the one who got dragged into the upside down and then killed. I don't know if they would have been like justice for Tommy. Right. Um, outside of the show though, like the, the fan campaign to like, ju- like justice for Barb became such a big thing online and then like even offline like I remember seeing like uh you know like people post stuff on like light poles and stuff like I remember seeing like missing posters for Barb on like when I lived in Seattle so like I think that it just like resonated in like a really really weird way and it almost became kind of a joke that like really helped the series like that like groundswell of like word of mouth and then um like obviously like the viral bit of it like online um, help the show in popularity. They in your second question was about will do we see more of Barb, right? Yeah, is there is there more Barb or is she is she ever spoken of again? Is she revisited at all? Yeah, so I think with the first season, the Delver brothers really learned a lesson. Like they killed her and then didn't really give her any like resolution, um, her storyline at all. Um, and so they do revisit it in Stranger Things season two. I don't want to give away too much, but it changes like the yeah it changes the whole uh like course of the series i believe because it gives um like nancy obviously feels very very guilty um about her friend dying and then not being able to because like you saw the first season you know that they found her in the upside down you can't really tell anyone that that's what happened to her because it's like obviously like they would think you were crazy so they have to like there's like a cover up 
Nancy feels very guilty about that. And like just she, how she deals with that and her choices that she makes change the future of Stranger Things um, for the better, I believe. I think that there there is some justice for Barb. I will say that. <laughs> there is something very cool about, I feel like we talk a lot about how like, TV is in this unique space. And I guess with like the amount of like sequels and shared universe movies, movies are a little bit there too, but like what happens when you create something and then it goes out in the world and you get like a fan and audience reaction to it. And like, how much do you let that kind of sway where the story goes and like how you sort of write the rest of it. Um, and, you know, you'd kind of mentioned how it, like people, secondary, secondary characters get killed off all the time and like <laughs> sci-fi and horror and things like that. And it is just whatever. So the Duffer brothers probably didn't think much of it. And then it was like, oh, oh no, like <laughs> this yeah. really uh, affected people. Um, but it sounds like it ended up having a, a net positive effect as far as fans shaping stories. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm very much on team. I wish Barb would have lived uh, because I think that she was a good character. Uh, Shannon Purser, who plays her, is great. Um, she's in a couple other Netflix things that are on Netflix, Riverdale. Sierra Burgess is a loser, I think it's called. Yeah. Um, so if you like her, there's opportunity to see more of the actors who plays Barb um, on Netflix. But yeah, I think that it's just, it's really interesting how that happened. And I think, like I said, yeah, it was for the better um, how they moved forward after it, I guess. Interesting. Uh, so keeping the subject of characters, I know you um, have said this and you have um, a piece coming next week in Stranger Things Week on NetflixLife.com, which all our listeners should go check out. But claiming and arguing that Eleven is the best TV character of the streaming era? Yeah. A, a big take, so <laughs> let's hear it. <laughs> it is, it is uh, scorching hot. Uh, no, so I, I think maybe the word best is maybe not the the I mean it's arguable right we could argue all day who the best character is I think in terms of Netflix becoming like the streaming network and like taking over the world basically um 11 is probably the character that's like most recognizable and like most iconic like when we look back in like 20 years we're going to be like what were the shows that like launched Netflix? And it's like definitely Stranger Things. Like, I don't think you can really argue that. Um, like Orange is the New Black came before it, House of Cards, I think Daredevil were probably like, those are like the four big shows that you can like point to. But even like Stranger Things has like outlived all of those. Like Orange is the New Black kind of faded, House of Cards for obvious reasons. Daredevil was canceled like well before it should have been. And then like here Stranger Things is like still going. Um, I think Millie Bobby Brown is also a, like a huge part of that too, um, becoming like a global super superstar and like will go on to probably be the biggest Netflix star, like when it's all said and done, just because she's so talented at like such a young age. Like even if she stopped doing movies in like 10 years, I bet we're going to have like a ton of, <laughs> a ton of good movies. Like Enola Holmes was great almost exclusively because of her. So I think that that's a huge part of it too. And then just like the most, like the recognizable aspect of it, like the shaved head, the Eggo waffles, the like blood dripping from your nose. Like everyone knows what that is. Even if you haven't stra seen Stranger Things, you probably know. So I think that that's how um, like most people remember uh, the show and like how Netflix like rose basically. Um, and then I think 
just from like a character perspective, I think the trauma that her character has suffered and then like the obstacles that she continues to overcome are like relatively unmatched. I mean, like there's obviously other characters that have, you know, similar storylines and stuff like that. But I, 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 that's what I think of when I think of like a good character, there's a good backstory and then she just continues to like beat the odds basically. Yeah, I definitely agree with your assessment that Stranger Things was very much like the launch. Uh, or it's what I think pushed Netflix, not like over the edge, because that's a bad thing, but like to the next level. Because I I mean, you're right that everyone cites House of Cards and Orange is the New Black. But even those shows, like their audiences, like they were very adult shows. There was a very like specific audience where they weren't, they kind of weren't for everyone. Like you kind of had to be into like political intrigue, DC drama. Um, or you know with the prison dramas and like there are elements of each of those premise premises that you had to sort of uh, buy into and i i think stranger things too was that exact sort of netflix formula that we've seen work so well now where it's like it's it's interesting and fun for like a very very large demographic of people in ways that i don't think the other netflix originals up until that point had been um, and sure. I, I, you're right. Like she is very much like, the face of Stranger Things too. <laughs> yeah. And like, what's crazy too, that like, I don't think people realize like Stranger Things, like launching a franchise is like hard, <laughs> right? Like, it's so like Stranger Things becoming this franchise that like is like recognizable by like everyone is like kind of crazy. Like if you look back at like what the cast was thinking after they filmed the first season, like, I think David Harbour's like said, like he thought that it was like bad. Like he thought that he was going to get like crushed, like in the reviews, he thought like no one would watch it. And then like to see now that like, there's people that like stake out like this where Stranger Things films and like, you know, post pictures of them when they're just doing whatever, just to be like, they're here. Um, and so I just think it's so like, that's so crazy. And it has to be so crazy for them. I'm sure when they were filming the first season, no one cared. And now it's like, they have like security and stuff to like, like keep people away <laughs> so i have one more question for you and it's bringing us back to the references because it's something that i learned from you during the uh, theme week planning um and i've been super curious about ever since can you explain the connection between the stranger things monsters and dungeons and dragons yeah sort of so i'm <laughs> not a dungeons and dragons player fan whatever like i don't know that much about it however i've done some research and i so I thought when I watched it, I knew that there was like the D&D tie-ins, like the first scene they're playing stuff, they're playing the game and they like mentioned the Demogorgon um, and it like sets up the whole series. I didn't realize though that the Demogorgon in the show is like not the monster from the game. Like it's clearly like the Duffer Brothers and the writers like, in, like were inspired by the Dungeons and Dragons monsters to like create these things. Like the Mind Flayer has like, psionic abilities in the game and like the mind player from the show has like same same thing uh however it's kind of interesting because it's like the the monsters are based on monsters from the game they're not the same but the way that the characters in stranger things like perceive the monsters is through their like lens of dungeons and dragons so like they call the demogorgon the demogorgon because it's similar to the monster in the game they call the mind flayer the mind flayer because it's similar to the monster in the game. And they use like, they even like bring out like the book of like Dungeons and Dragons rules or like uh, descriptions of the monsters. 
and like use them to like tell the audience, I guess, like what the powers that the monster has and like the upside down, I think they call it um, like the veil of shadows, but like they're very different. If you like look at each, like what the upside down is versus what the veil of shadows is, but it like took Dungeons and Dragons into like the mainstream to where like, that's why we're talking about it right now, which I think is like kind of funny. Like it's not just like a reference to the game or the game, the monsters were pulled directly out of the game. It's like just how the characters perceive the world around them through their like love of this game, which I think is like really cool actually. Um, it what makes me want to play Dungeons and Dragons, although I like don't have A, enough friends, B, enough time to like be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, that is, I really like that sort of like interpretation or back, not interpretation, but background of it where it's it's not that the show is saying, hey, these are Dungeons and Dragons. It's saying, these are kids that play Dungeons and Dragons all the time. And this is how they're trying to make sense of their world or what's happening. And they're doing it through Dungeons and Dragons. It also makes me immediately, and I don't know, I mean, I do know why my mind went here, but <laughs> I was like, oh, so that kind of makes like Stranger Things, like an undercover Jumanji reboot, except it's Jumanji mm -hmm. for Dungeons and Dragons. Which basically it's it's it makes me want to watch it <laughs> yeah and like people have written about like how the series is like one big Dungeons and Dragons game which I didn't understand totally at the time <laughs> but like how the series is structured is like similar to the gameplay so for instance I can't remember who what site published it but it was like in the third season they have to go break into um I won't spoil it, a certain place, but like they draw a map and apparently the map is like similar to like what you would use if you were playing the game. So I thought that was kind of cool that like looking at it that way, um, it's like the same way that Uncut Gems is like paced like a basketball game. It's like Stranger <laughs> Things is like a long game of Dungeons and Dragons, I guess. Uh, we'll have to talk about the Uncut Gems element because I have a lot of thoughts on that theory, but that's <laughs> no, not the place for it. Um, I do love, love that it you can see the series as a Dungeons and Dragons like game itself. And it makes me, to your point, like wish that I actually understood Dungeons and Dragons so that I could appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I know, me too. It's like, I should have, I guess I should have been doing different things when I was a kid, I don't know. Who knew that I would come to regret not playing Dungeons and Dragons, but here we are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and on that note, that's our show. Thank you, Bryce, and thank you, Mia, for joining me today. And to everyone listening, Watch The Mandalorian, catch up on season one, season two premieres tonight, and watch Stranger Things because it's almost Halloween and season two is perfect for that. And we'll see you all next week.